How much money am I holding? It's a trick question. It looks like 40 from where you're sitting. Unfortunately, one of them was a counterfeit. Now, counterfeit dollars, they look similar, but the closer you get, the more obvious the imitation. True dollars, the closer you get, the more authenticity or the more obvious the authenticity. From your seating, they both look almost the same. I would say probably most people couldn't tell the difference between the authentic and the counterfeit. But when you get close, the counterfeit doesn't have the watermark, it doesn't have the magnetic strip, it doesn't have the nice glitter that my daughter likes on the Eagle and the 20. But this one, the closer you get, the more intricate the artistry, the more obvious the authenticity, the more you're sure you have the real thing. The big difference is the true dollar is backed by the Federal Reserve. It comes with a backing. It comes with representation. It comes in power. The counterfeit is just a piece of paper. When you try to use it, it will let you down and get you in trouble. For the next nine weeks, we're going to look through the Gospel of John not every chapter, not every verse. But John was arguably Jesus' closest friend. Scripture says he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's because Jesus didn't love anyone else. No. No, G no. but there was a special affinity. There was a... Um, there was a friendship, a quality of friendship that Jesus and John shared that Jesus didn't share with the other disciples or with really any of his other followers or with anyone else. And I'm just going to borrow, I'm going to borrow Coach Roach here. He helped coach my son. John said that literally he would lean right in to Coach Roach's breast. See your heart's beating in there. Yeah, no, there's nothing salacious about it. John said that he leaned in. Scripture says that John leaned in when they were having meals and he would literally recline and give Jesus a hug. And there was something just beautiful um, and childlike and without guile about their friendship. And because of that, his gospel shines a, a little bit different look. Um, on Jesus than the other synoptic gospels. And synoptic just means to follow a linear timeline. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start at the beginning, they end at the end, and everything is in order. And the gospel of John is a little more topical. John reveals the richness of Jesus's private ministry and the conversations that he had with the disciples uh, alongside the account of his public ministry. So that's why you'll notice it's a lot longer. And then John also uniquely presents the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. 
I am the true vine. I am the true bread of life. I am the true word. I am the true lamb. I am the true king. There's all these I am, capital I am sayings in John. And because the, the, the closer view that John had, he could verify the authenticity of Jesus in a way that other people couldn't do. And today, we're going to look at Jesus as the true word. And each week, we're going to look at Jesus as the true something, and also look at some of the counterfeits that the world has for it. So today's scripture is John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. If you have your Bibles, you can follow with me. If not, I will cast it right here. This is John speaking. John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes, before, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness... We have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You know, most of us, when we get up close to one another, discover with clarity our weaknesses. It's like Michelle and I. The closer we are, the more aware I am of my own flaws, the more aware I am of my weaknesses, the more I can even see her weaknesses. But the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get, the more we can see, the more of his glory we can see. And the part of this passage, right, it says that the, the word, Jesus, was the word spoken over you. Now, you might have had a lot of words spoken over your life. As a child, the word that was spoken over me is that I was a liar. I had trouble with the truth. I made up a lot of stories, and I believed a lot of the stories I made up. And so when I look back even on things that happened last week or earlier in the day or last month or last year, I had trouble dividing what I had made up and wanted to believe, the fantasy about that I wanted my life to be better than it was or my kind of my reality to be different than it was. I had trouble mixing that up. But the word that people spoke over me was I was a liar. You've had words spoken over your life maybe by your parents or your friends or coworkers or society or groups of people. But God, John recognized that the word that God spoke over us was Jesus. He is the true word. And he became flesh. He literally put on an earth suit, which, I mean, as God not only to put on a physical appearance that was a little clunky, but flesh was the very theater or the very area where sin and iniquity had entered creation. 
and had deceived us. He literally put on, he came to the front lines and put on a suit so that he could come and do battle and destroy the works of the enemy in the theater where darkness had deceived us. And he dwelt among us like a captain that came to the front lines and sat up in a tent, not for his comfort. If you have served in the armed forces or you have been in a place of war, you know there's not a lot comfortable about coming to dwell among the people or coming to dwell in that place. There's not a lot of comfort there. But Jesus came not for comfort, but as a captain to take back what the enemy stole and to commit war on our behalf and to bring victory for us. And scripture says here that we beheld his glory. To behold his glory is to behold his goodness, his nature. And this, the, the key part in here is that if you look at it, he's saying that like John, who was, who was saying you know, the one who's going to come after me, John the Baptist, is going to be greater than me. And John, the disciple, is saying, this, this is that person. Not that you might see him or find him someday, but that this person who I'm writing about, this is he who John the Baptist spoke about. He's also saying that the law, which was given through Moses, right? He wasn't saying that the law was bad. He was saying the law was a teacher. And the problem with the law is that we are liable for the penalty of our disobedience, right? The, 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 uh, that penalty of disobedience is our responsibility, but because grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is a truth that we can partake in. He's a grace that we can share in because he took care of the penalty of disobedience permanently so that we could share in it and walk in it. And John describes that no one has seen God at any time, not with our physical eyes. That's why Jesus Christ came to declare him. And that word declare, a declaration signifies a plain, clear, and a full discovery, not by general or abstract hints, but by direct explanation. We can now read, because we got up close, we can now read the will of God and the way of salvation in the person, Jesus. He is the grace and the truth that came by the living word. So what is most important about what came through Jesus Christ, his nature, his glory, the fullness that we've received? It says it twice in this passage. Jesus Christ, we beheld his glory. The glory is the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was, he is saying, for the law was given through Moses, but... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came to declare about the nature of God. To reveal to us so that we could literally read, put our hands on, hug, embrace. We could read the will of God and the way of salvation in the person, Jesus. Jesus Christ did not have a measure of grace 
and a measure of truth, or a balance of grace and a balance of truth. He didn't hold one and sometimes have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, his nature was, had a full measure, complete fullness of grace and truth at the same time, inseparable and incomprehensible and unprecedented up until that time. There was no, it was not in the heart or the imagination of man that grace and truth could be full and complete and integrated and together. That was a completely foreign concept. That's why John is saying his glory, his nature, full, completely full grace and truth. So for the next couple minutes, I won't, it won't be long. This is not a long message today. So grace, just to understand the, the definition there, grace is favor based on the character of the giver, not the merits of the recipient. Grace is favor or goodwill to somebody else, to another party, to another person. It is favor based on my character, based on the character of the giver, not the merits of the recipient. If I have grace for you, Aaron, it's based on my heart, not on whether you deserve it or not whether you did something that I like or didn't like. Grace is favor based on the character of the giver, not the merits of the recipient. And in God's case, it is a spiritual endowment and a supernatural ability. Grace is God's character in action. Grace is the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in the earth, glorifying Jesus. Now, truth is the completely consistent nature of God with no concealment or flaw. Recognition that he is completely real completely genuine, completely authentic, completely durable. No matter how close you get to him, the closer you get, the more accurate and authentic his artistry and his nature becomes. You, the closer you get, the more detail there is. There's no, it doesn't ever get pixelated or blurry, no matter how close you get to God. If truth is the great I am, then grace is the great I will. If truth is the great I am, the nature of God, grace is the great I will. It is the action, the goodwill, the favor of God. See, if God, God could be all the greatness of his nature and his character, but if he never came to us, we, would still, we could still praise him and see him somewhere. But it was only because he was full of grace and truth that we could relate to him. And that's the body of Christ in the world. We, as the church, we are the body of Christ. If all we walk in is as a measure of separated truth back here that people can look out and say, oh, well, I think that looks good for them, but I'm not sure. In, if, until we walk in fullness of grace and truth, people won't understand or be able to relate to God. We, they have to get close enough to us to see and understand the authenticity of Jesus. Because there are a lot of counterfeits. Grace counterfeits, one counterfeit of grace in the world is tolerance. Now, this will only be scary for about one minute. Then it won't be scary anymore. But say, Jesus was not tolerant of religion that oppressed people. 
Jesus was not tolerant of sin. Jesus was not tolerant of Satan's schemes in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus was not tolerant even of his disciples when they became a mouthpiece for what was counter to God's plan in his life. You remember when his disciples were trying to talk him out of going back into Jerusalem because there was unrest there and he was about to get you know, captured and there could be you know, difficulty. And they're saying, we don't think we should go back to Jerusalem. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Not, not very tolerant. When the disciples were uh, keeping all of the rambunctious children away from Jesus because they were going to disrupt the meeting, what did Jesus say? Let the kids come to me. And by the way, if you're not like them, you aren't even going to understand the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound tolerant. How about when the disciples were talking about, hey, we want to sit at your right hand. Who's the greatest among us, right? Did Jesus just give them a nice hug and say, there, there, it'll work out in the end? No, Jesus addressed the character issue. When his disciples went to prepare and look and spy out a city that they were going to minister in, and they weren't well received, they come back and they say, Jesus, should we call down fire on them? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, have, have you been with me at all for the last two years? Right? Not tolerant. But was Jesus intolerant? Right? Because we've been saying he's not tolerant in these days. But would you describe Jesus as intolerant? No. Because tolerance and intolerance are natural opposites. But grace is supernatural and superior to tolerance. He was full of grace and truth, not just a partial measure, not just one or the other. Grace is supernatural and superior to tolerance because tolerance doesn't require heart change for anyone. Tolerance is based on the ascribed or the perceived merits of, of the recipient, of somebody else. Like tolerance says, I'm glad that works for you. Settling for tolerance denies the complete consistency of God's nature and his truth. This is not a license to be intolerant. It's an invitation to be full of grace. Because grace requires you to be for them, whoever them is. In all of Jesus' workings, even the things that sounded like, ah, cringe factor. No, he was collecting and inviting he was full of grace for his friends and for everyone around him. Tolerance and truth are therefore really incompatible. And when tolerance or when the counterfeit to grace comes inside the church, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous or a, a, a renowned 20th century theologian, said it like this. He said, he said um, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Because cheap grace doesn't require heart change for anyone. 
Cheap grace denies that a heartfelt and costly response is required to truth. Therefore, it's incompatible. Cheap grace is because grace is always connected to truth like a compass to true north. Like I have a, 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 I have a compass app on my phone. As a Boy Scout, I used to have a handheld compass, but now I can get an, an app that does that. But no matter where I am, where is that compass pointing? It's going to tell me where north is so I know where I am. And like being full of truth means that I know where I am and I know where God is. I know the direction. But grace is how I walk there. Jesus was full of truth. He always had a crystal clarity on what his father was saying, on what our father was saying. He had crystal clarity. But the way he walked was full of grace, not meddling in intolerance or tolerance or worldly things. He was full of supernatural grace. And truth also has counterfeits. In the world, one of the counterfeits for truth is elitism. And this is where, when we we all want to be right, we all we all want the things we believe, the things we think, the opinions we have, the feelings we feel, the stuff, our preferences, our style, all that stuff. We want to be right. We we want people to agree with us, to make us feel good about, we surround ourselves with other people that think like us so that we can feel right about it. But when, when anytime you feel threatened by somebody else and you begin prosecuting a vicious campaign to exterminate or silence opposition through insults and name-calling, you know you're not walking in truth, you're walking in elitism. You start using names, like, and you hear it. I mean, the world is so polarized on in every way, all you hear is name calling. And it's like, it, it almost, you know, there is a temptation to just turn it off, turn it out and say, Lord, I think you should just wrap this up real quick because it's getting crazy around here. But we are going to be here until the last trumpet sounds. Full of grace and truth. When we use names like climate deniers and religious frauds and useful idiots and ditto heads and colossal unreason and bleeding hearts and fascists and bigots, pigs, and the list goes on, right, we are, we are accepting a counterfeit. We're walking in the counterfeit or we're being bullied by a counterfeit. You know, the first day of class at Cal Poly, I walked into a geology survey uh, that had about 100 students in it. And the professor walked in and he said, all the Christians, raise your hand. And I was there was probably 30 people that raised their hand. And then he said, okay, Christians, stand up, stand up. Take, take, a, take a look at these folks. He said, at the end of this survey, none of you all will be standing. And if you are, then your head is so far down in the sand, you're of no use to humankind. Now, this was before recording. Um, You may see a little gray hair here. This was a ways back. This professor is no longer there. Um, But I, 
I remember there were several people that walked out right away. Some others started arguing, and then some more people walked out. And uh, there was only maybe two or three that were left by the time within 10 minutes. And then he addressed the class, and he said, you see, I was, I, I, we, it is very important to me to get the most... Um, the, the, uh, the biggest obstacles to your learning out of the way as soon as possible. And so you see that we are in the world bullied by elitism. It's not about learning. It was about silencing and exterminating opposition. And that's not to say, I actually sat through the class, I was not a believer. He had many wonderful and amazing things. He had amazing understanding about geology. So I, I'm, I'm just saying that any, we are, there are counterfeits to truth walking around out there, and we, it's, not, it's nothing to be afraid of, but we have to be aware of it so that we, because we are called to walk on a different standard, on a different plane, at a different level, full of grace, full of truth. And inside the church, this can manifest and become like religious elitism. And it'll feel like we have a corner on the gospel. You'll start saying things like, I am just so fed up with the church, thinking there is no church doing it right. Well, except me, or except us, or we have of the best understanding of faith or an enlightened view of the Bible or everybody else is deceived, nobody else in the body of Christ, nobody else in the American church, nobody else in this, are, they're all operating at a lower level as if it's the, the body of Christ is a bureaucratic structure of which you get promoted in, right? I, I challenged a friend recently who had been going through a rough space spiritually and he was complaining about different ways that churches were not emphasizing certain parts of the gospel well, and they were missing it. And I mean, it was just, it was getting oppressive, and I was having a hard time getting through this conversation. And I'm saying, you know, I don't even know how to engage with this. And the Holy Spirit just, asked, he said, ask him what church is doing it right. And so I asked him, I said, hey, so what church is doing it right? And then there was like 15 or 20 seconds of very, very awkward silence. And maybe I would have hoped that my friend would have at the time just said, okay, you know, I, I get it. But no. In his worldview, there are no churches around here doing it right, only a few distant teachers with podcasts that really preach the word. I want to say this is a very dangerous place to be because when you fall into this religious elitism, you are in a very real sense looking at other members of the body of Christ and saying, I have no need of you. And this seductively gets us off the hook from any real connection, any real dependence, any real vulnerability or belonging with other believers. Elitism is incompatible with grace because elitism divides me from you or us from them. And I say, there is no us and them in grace. Grace, the heart of God, is for people, period. If there are us and thems in your mind running around all the time, that's not full of grace. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was completely, 
completely clear on what was true and what was real and what was North Star and what was God, what was holy and what was not. But he was completely full of grace, coming to seek and to save what was lost, not to stay separated and point fingers at it. Grace has a stance that is for whoever the thems are in your mind, always. It's the counterfeits that will hold us back. 